Hi all, welcome back to audiobook by the author featuring the red disease by Dana Berlin. It's me, Dana Berlin. Um, so it's just me again this week. We'll be reading chapter 11, Substitute. This is a Ronick chapter. It takes place immediately after the one that I read last week from Benel's point of view. Um, we're back to Ronick, Benel, and Nalahi all traveling across the Whispering Plains to get to the Encergo base where um, Chrisay has supposedly taken Ash back, you know, according to Ronick. Um, not that he has any reason to be lying, but who knows? So enjoy, here's the chapter. Chapter 11, Substitute. The Whispering Plains, east of Barden. They had walked for nearly a full day in the same formation. Ronick looked far ahead of the two women, and no matter what pace he kept, they always remained the same distance from him. Their mistrust of him was well-deserved, he knew, but it still made a knot in his heart to know that Benel feared him. Nalahi thought he hadn't noticed her fingering the bow and hilt of her dagger every time he glanced over his shoulder to see if they were still following him. They had left Barden late into the night of the previous day, and now the sun was beginning to set as a great dark shape in the distance began to grow before them. The base looked obscene placed upon the ocean of grass that was the Whispering Plains. All that could be seen, even to the distant horizon, was golden grasses blowing in the evening breeze silently. One could be lost in the sea forever if they could not read the sky. In every direction all looked the same, except for the ghastly stone block to the east that disturbed nature's curves. The quiet of the plains was shattered by the clamor of the base's steel gates being drawn open. Sounds carried over the vast emptiness. The sentries must have seen them coming and were sending out rioters. Sure enough, three riders came hurling across the waves of grass towards them. Nalahi was instantly on guard, and Vanel was also obviously on edge. Their suspicion was starting to get old. They're going to escort us in. You can ride with us or you can walk the rest of the way, Ronick shouted back to them over the thunder of hooves. He flagged down Mayan on a red stallion and hoisted himself up behind his nephew. Where are you dragging in all these people from? Mayan asked as he looked from each exhausted woman to the other. He must have been additionally referring to Jet's boy and Nye that Ronick had sent back with Crusay the night before. Three are from Ken. He couldn't see Mayan's face as they rode, but he knew from the boy's lack of quip that he was taken aback by the reply. Though he was not nearly as taken aback as Ronick had been when he had heard Vanel's name while tasting her blood on his lips. He looked over his shoulder to see if they too had accepted the Insurgo's escort. Vanel had her head buried in Guinness Angie's back, and clasped her arms around him as he rode for the base. Nalahi stubbornly held on the sides of the saddle on Hestus's steed. The seasoned warrior was much too prideful for Ronick's liking. Hestus was probably irritated from being stuck with the inglorious task of escorting new arrivals. Ronick dismounted as they had passed through the gate. Kazar the Storm's lifeless eyes followed him as he walked. Find Jet's boy and tell him his sister is here. That's probably the only way you'll get him to cooperate, he told Mayan. His nephew nodded and left. Vanel and Alahi glanced around nervously. Some of the encircos stopped to get a look at them, but most just went about their business. It was nearly nightfall, and everyone was finishing dinner and readying to retire for the day. He approached the two. My nephew is fetching Ash. I'm sure once he knows you're here, he'll arrive quickly. Ronick, Vanel said. He felt a chill run down his spine and tingle throughout all of his limbs. It was the first time she'd called him by name. Don't tell Ash that she saw a cross. Before he could get another word in, Nye suddenly appeared out of the crowd and threw her arms around him. 
She shrilled about how happy she was that she was here, that he was here, but he wasn't really listening. Vanel gave him a slight smile and turned away, searching the crowd, as Nye continued to plant kisses all over his face and neck. Crusay approached and Nye finally relinquished her salt on him. I can't believe that if all people have sinned to survive, it was Jet's son. Just look at him. There's absolutely no doubt. He looks just like the late commander. Crusay rambled breathlessly as Ash made his appearance following Mayan. She grasped Veronica's hand and gave it a slight squeeze. He doesn't talk much. How did you say you found him? He tried to attack me in Barden and cursed me for being red. Crusay looked back at him sternly. Does he not know? I'm not sure, but there's hate in his eyes. Veronica nodded toward Vanel, bringing the girl to his sister's attention. Vanel was crying heavily as she fell into Ash's arms. He couldn't hear the words they were exchanging, but Vanel just kept nodding and sobbing as Ash lifted her off the ground in a strong embrace. Crusay's eyes went wide, and she quickly turned back to Veronica. Yes, his daughter, she exclaimed. She looked as though she might cry, and she covered her mouth with her hand. And somehow they found their way to us. Maybe there is such thing as fate. Don't get all romantic about it. You weren't the one that had to drag each of them here, Ronick muttered. Crusay answered him again, but her voice and all the other noises in the crowd began to fade into a distant, monotone sound. Everyone around him became a blur of background as he watched every move she made. She lifted a hand to wipe tears off her cheeks, but she was smiling. She gently pressed Ash's pendant back into his hand and then smiled as he fastened it around his neck. Her entire face lit up like a perfect white flower opening to greet the morning sun. She lifted her chin as she laughed, and he could only wish he could have heard the sweet sound of it, but he could only watch as her eyes shone brightly, framed by long, heavy lashes. He could see himself next to her. He pictured himself being the one to make her look like that. He could feel the warmth of her throat under his lips as he kissed all over her wonderful flesh. Ronick, Nye said, for, for what could have been the hundredth time. She grasped his chin and brought his face down to meet hers. Her mouth was set in a pout as she angrily tossed her long black hair over her exposed shoulder. Would you like to go to bed? She asked coyly while twirling the end of her hair around one of her fingers. No, he said heartlessly and tugged her hands away from him. His annoyance with her was even more difficult to hide when it became mixed with his frustration of his spoiled interaction with Vanel. He began to walk He began to walk away towards the mess hall. Hopefully there's some food left. His stomach had been tying itself in knots for hours. He put a cigarette in his mouth as he passed the growing crowd, all eager to see Jet's children. Nalahi rested a hand on his shoulder to stop him as he passed. He paused for a moment as her eyes met with his. Thank you, she said softly. Her mouth curled up in the corner like she was forcing the words out. I'd heard of the Insurgo, but never ventured this far from the Saltwoods to see for myself. I'm relieved to see that as a force to be reckoned with. Ronick assumed that was the best apology she could muster without actually admitting that she was wrong, and while he appreciated her reconciliation with him, it was not who he wanted it from. He smiled back at her, though it sure looked as forced as it felt, and thanked her. Luckily, there was a slab of meat that had not been cooked well enough to feed any healthy human left in the kitchen, along with some cold potatoes and hard bread. He sat alone in the hall, everyone else had gone to their chambers. He chewed slowly as his thoughts turned dark. He didn't understand why he still put his heart into anything. He just couldn't learn his lesson. After their mother's death, Helen, Crusay, and he were raised by her close friend, Kos Valor. Kos was the first person that Ronick had ever known that was red, but the older men had the disease well under control for years. It was before the blood cigarettes had been made a common luxury, so Kos would have to hunt more often than those presently infected did. He and Helen were approaching their later teenage years when their mother died, 
but Crisset was still young and became very attached to their guardian for the remainder of his life. It wasn't long after Coe's passed that Crisset left Snanka for the Insurgo. He finished his meal and decided to just end his day by going to sleep. Not that he could escape from her in his dreams, either. He took the western passage through the barracks of the recruits still in training. They were cramped, the bunks stacked two or three to a wall, barely leaving any room to sit up on one of the cots. He recalled many sleepless nights he had spent there as a young man, kept awake by the sounds of other boys sniffling, crying, coughing, or fucking whatever girl he could persuade into bed with them. The bunks were soon replaced with doors that led to the officer's quarters. He had just turned the key into the old lock. He had just turned the key in the old lock to his door when he heard someone say his name. I thought that was you, Vanel said as she clasped her hands behind her back nervously. Ronick watched her lips as she spoke, a perfect rosy color, just begging to be touched by his own. I just wanted to say thank you for saving Ash and bringing both of us here. You didn't have to help him, but you did, and I know he's not an easy person. He didn't know what he was thinking. He laced his fingers through her hair, holding each side of her face, and kissed her. He kissed her deeply, further intoxicating himself with the smell, feel, and taste of her. He didn't want the moment to end, but she put a hand to his chest and pushed him away. She just stared at him incredulously, but she didn't leave. Her eyes wavered as she waited for him to say something, and she took a step back. Her surprise faded into a hard frown. His actions began to set in and weigh heavy on him. And, oh, I'm sorry, he couldn't think of anything else to say. He couldn't believe how bold he had just been, and he feared it would cost him. Why did you do that? She asked quietly, still frowning. It's all I've been thinking about, he replied. He felt so foolish. All of his thoughts of her clouding his mind, yet he had to tell her the truth. He needed her to know. She absently touched her lips and continued to study him. Don't do it again, she said sternly and then walked away. She didn't go hastily like she was embarrassed or disgusted. Her steps away from him almost seemed involuntary, like she had to think about each one. He watched her until she disappeared around a corner out of his sight. Even then, he still lingered, wishing she'd come back. He may have just lost her forever by wanting her so badly. He placed his key inside his breast pocket and entered his room. Nothing had been moved since he had last been there. He had left the window ajar from when he had last left for Barden some two or three days ago, so the entire room smelled like the brisk night air. He lit a single lamp in the room but dimmed it, so everything was illuminated by a gentle yellow haze. He turned the mirror in his room to face the wall. He finally realized how exhausted he was when he allowed himself to relax in his bed. He took off his cloak and his armor, laying them neatly on a sitting chair. He placed his belts of weapons on top of those and kicked off his boots under the chair. Everything he wore was black, as it had always been. He worked the leather wrap from the end of his ponytail and fastened it around his wrist, allowing his knotted hair to fall freely over his shoulders. He lay back on the bed and rested his hand on his chest. He rubbed the sleep from his eyes and continued to stare at the ceiling. He thought about how Vanel's feet shuffled when she walked. Her boots were too big, obviously not made for her. None of her clothes were. She wore boys' brown breeches that fit too tightly and ended just above her and ended just below her knee instead of further down her calf. Her white tunic was of a common knit and looked awkward beneath a fine brown leather coat. She wore no jewelry or adornments, and she kept her black hair cropped just below her shoulders. It hung heavy and straight, but flowed gracefully with every turn of her head. Her light skin looked even more ghostly against the ebony strands about her head. Her full, dusky rose lips were usually pressed together in an anxious pout. It was true she looked very much like her older brother, especially since they both had Jet's piercing gaze, but her face was of a much softer contour, and her eyes had a narrow, almond-shaped curve that set his heart aflame when they looked at him. There was a quiet knock at his door. It was so soft he almost missed it. 
He had to stop his mind from racing as he rose and grasped the knob. It creaked as he turned it, his breath caught in his throat as he slowly opened the time-worn wooden door. He saw bright orange-brown eyes under a furrowed brow on a flawless copper canvas. Nye cocked her head to the side placefully and placed one hand on her hip. She scanned the room behind him, looking to see if anybody else was with him. Why do you keep pushing me away, Ronick? All I want to see is you. I do not even ask for anything in return. I just ask for you, and yet you still tell me no? It was the first time he had heard some truth in her tone. She was hurt, and she wasn't looking to use him this time. He couldn't deny that she was beautiful, and her warm scent of spiced oil stirred at least a fraction of desire within him. But after the first time they made love, if it could even be called such, he had lost all feeling for her. He knew it would never return, especially not now that he had found what his heart had been searching for. After all those restless nights, lonely mornings, and cryptic dreams, he had found her. But he couldn't have her, and there was no replacement. Ronick scratched his scalp as he pondered over what to say. His hair was matted into such thick locks they would never loosen. He didn't want to hurt her, and the truth was not what she wanted to hear from him. You can come in, his voice trailed off as she spared no moments to enter and pull her long, orange and pink silks over her head. She wore nothing underneath it. She held the end of her dress with one finger and then let it slip off and pile onto the floor. You don't have to say anything else if you come here, she told him. Her O sounds dragged out and accentuated with her Tuwagan accent. He felt nothing stir in his loins, and he knew she would be offended if she saw him flaccid. She grabbed his pants legs and pulled him closer to the bed as she sat down on it. Her hand slowly rubbed over his groin on the outside of his breeches. He tilted his head back and closed his eyes. When he looked back down, those haunting sapphire eyes were upon him. It was her delicate ivory hands that unfastened his pants. Her hands reached up and rested on his chest and abdomen. She took him in her mouth. He exhaled heavily with relief. I'm sorry I ever thought you didn't want me anymore, she gasped out in between the strokes she's making with her mouth. He didn't answer, but rather just turned her over so that she was lying on her stomach on the bed. And I squealed with delight at his enthusiasm. He closed his eyes again and pictured her sprawled out before him, waiting for him to make a move. His hand smoothed over her buttocks, gentle at first, and then he pressed his fingers into the flesh more roughly. He heard that same gasp that he heard in the alley echo through his bedchamber. He wanted nothing more than to hear that over and over. Nye kept moaning, bringing him back to reality. He placed his fingers over her mouth, stifling her noises. He remembered how her skin felt against his, completely soaked with rainwater, but radiating such heat that he couldn't help but let his fangs slide down from the sockets in his gums. Recalling that sweet, metallic taste of her blood in his lips is more than he could handle, he quickly pulled away from Nye before finishing. She looked back at him, full of distaste, but not nearly enough to compare what he felt looking at her. The incomparable guilt had finally set in as he handed her a cloth and sat down on the bed with his face in his hand, still naked. She murmured something unintelligible and then curled up to sleep. He looked over his shoulder at her disdainfully. Monat quietly dressed himself and left the room. He didn't know where he would go, but he couldn't stand to wake up next to Nye. Uh, next week, I will have my sibling, Haas, on to read the very first Delinda chapter, which I am so excited for. I feel like we've been talking about her a ton in a lot of the um, after-episode conversations, just about different you know, characters and whatever sign or Pokemon trainer they are, um, just because she's so interesting and just like, I think because she's the only person that has that inside view of what's going on in Star Palace, she's getting to see the villain cross firsthand while everybody else, he's just kind of like this phantom menace, if you will. So hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next week.
We'll see you then. Thanks. Bye.